Okay, now we're going to continue in our sermon series. We've been working through, I believe this is week four, um, week five if you count the, the, the preview week as we started off. But this sermon series we call Better Together. And the whole idea behind this sermon series is we've been working to recapture this truth that God designed us to live together in community. That he desires for our relationships to be symbiotic, using a science word, symbiotic relationships, where our relationships actually help and strengthen one another instead of parasitic relationships, which means that one just kind of takes at the expense of other. We want to be in symbiotic relationships, working together for life and health, because we truly are better together. And this is not just true of our spiritual health. I was actually this week, we are better together and it affects us spiritually, but it also affects our physical bodies as well. In fact, just in 2019, the Mayo Clinic, which is, you know, a pretty large uh, organization. The Mayo Clinic put together this huge research project for years and years of data that they'd collected, really seeking out why do patients with spiritual lives have better health outcomes than patients without? And here's a quote from their study. Most studies have shown that religious involvement and spirituality are associated with better health outcomes, including greater longevity, coping skills, and health-related quality of life, even during terminal illness, and less anxiety, depression, and suicide. Several studies have shown that addressing the spiritual needs of a patient enhanced recovery from illness. I think that that is an absolutely awesome quote. It's something we've been talking about here, friends. We are better together. And when we are growing together spiritually, it boils over. It affects all different areas of our life. Our mental health, our spiritual health, our physical health are all better when we are together. This is an essential thing for us to understand. We say at this church all the time that all healthy things grow. This is why as a church, we focus on health, not growth. You see, we believe that growth is the natural fruit that health produces. That if we're healthy, then we will see growth in our spiritual life and our physical life. This is true naturally and spiritually. Let me give you an example. If I want my kids to grow up and live strong lives and be uh, physically grow and be healthy, but I deprive them of all of the things that lead to health and growth, guess what? I shouldn't be surprised when my children struggle. But the flip side of this is true too. Maybe you're a parent that thinks, I just don't want my kids to grow up. They need to slow down. But if you feed them and you provide a loving and nurturing home and you give them a place to exercise, guess what? You can't stop them from growing. Growth and health are connected together. You can't stop them from growing. In fact, if they did stop growing, that would be a real problem. Be a real problem. That scientifically, medically, there's a term for this. It's called failure to thrive syndrome. And here, I've got the symptoms here on the screen. This is the symptoms from failure to thrive syndrome. Lack of appropriate weight gain, irritability, easily fatigued, excessive sleepiness, lack of age-appropriate social response, doesn't make vocal sounds, delayed motor development, and learning and behavior difficulties. 
Here's what struck me this week. When I looked this up, thinking about just our physical health and if we, uh, this failure to thrive syndrome, I realized that there's such a thing as spiritual failure to thrive syndrome. And actually, the symptoms are remarkably similar to each other. In fact, I want you to listen to what Paul wrote to to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, because they were experiencing spiritual failure to thrive syndrome. And here's what he says. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. There's that delayed motor development. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. Lack of appropriate weight gain. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. Learning behavior difficulties. You are jealous of one another and you quarrel with each other. Irritability. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? Lack of age-appropriate response. Aren't you living like people of this world? See, our enemy, Satan, the devil, he wants to choke out any good fruit in your life by putting weeds in your life. He wants to sow seeds that lead to weeds that choke out the good fruit. That comes right out of the parable of the different types of soil. The enemy wants you to be, have a life filled with weeds so that he can limit your fruitfulness. He wants us to be weak and feeble and vulnerable and overwhelmed and unsure of ourselves because the last thing he wants for us is that you would actually step in and take hold of God's dream for your life. So here's what I want to do together this morning. I want us to consider our spiritual life and our spiritual health for a moment. Are you healthy spiritually? Are you thriving spiritually? If not, are the habits that you are currently practicing, that you currently have in place, do you believe that those will lead you to be thriving or healthy in the next year? What about the next decade? If you feel like your spiritual life is on the verge of failing, or if you feel like you truly are failing to thrive, then I hope that you would be willing to ask yourself in this very moment, what would it take for me to take the next step and to begin to thrive spiritually? See, our culture is obsessed with physical health, especially physical health as it relates to our outside appearance, right? It, we we want to make sure, it doesn't matter if you're really unhealthy on the inside, as long as you look good on the outside, everyone thinks that's the pinnacle of health right there. You know, we do this because we are obsessed with things like our beach body, right? So people go to the gym and they work and they work and they work and they build up these huge beach muscles, right, for everyone to be able to see. But here's the problem, in all practicality, those muscles, though they might look impressive, actually When it comes to functional strength and functional health, they're really limited. They lose their flexibility. They become hard and rigid. And though they look impressive to others, 
The truth is, if you put them in a triathlon, they would fail right at the very beginning because they don't have the stamina and endurance necessary to really be functional. Well, guess what? We do the same thing spiritually, don't we? We like to look good spiritually on the outside by building up our spiritual beach muscles, right? I can have a theological discussion about end times prophecy with the most obscure references and impress the lot of you. But when it actually comes to being obedient, living my life according to the ways of Jesus, we begin to struggle. We begin to build up the outside appearance of our spiritual life instead of really being devoted to be a follower of Jesus, a follower of the way of Jesus. And I believe one of the antidotes to this is that we need in our discipleship and in our spiritual health and our growth and development, we need to stop this from being an individualistic approach and we need to begin to learn together how we are discipled and how we grow together. Because I think this is an essential missing element in our growth, in our development, and in our discipleship. So I want to just give you some three simple, simple things today that you can take, that you can use to help each other to grow. Because again, this is our commitment, right? We've said we're being committed. We are a family. We are the body. We need health. We need strength. We don't want to be like that guy who builds his upper body but has little tiny legs, right? We want to be healthy all the way, strong foundation and strong on the top, all right? So here's the first thing in your notes that we can do. Number one, how we build each other up is we encourage each other. We encourage each other. When was the last time that you felt a meaningful encouragement from another believer. Now, for many of you, you might call something to mind immediately. You may have a support system or people in your life that are regularly encouraging you, but for others, I guarantee there are some of you here right now who can't remember the last time that you had a meaningful encouragement from another believer. And maybe part of the problem is we don't actually know what encouragement is. We don't know what biblical encouragement is because, again, in our culture, we define encouragement different than, I believe, real biblical encouragement looks. In our culture, we talk about encouragement more like just affirmation. Let me explain. We say, like, you did a great job today. You're a great mom. Everything's going to be okay. And listen, biblical encouragement is often full and rich with affirmation, but affirmation in and of itself is not biblical encouragement. In fact, it can also be flattery. And flattery is something that the Bible warns us repeatedly about. Proverbs 29.5, those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. Proverbs 26.28, a lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. The Apostle Paul said to the first Thessalonians in 2.5, you know we never used flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. So what is true encouragement and how is it different than this dangerous counterpart as flattery? Well, first we need to see true encouragement always tells the truth. You see, flattery typically exaggerates maybe an aspect of the truth, but it twists it or it inflates it. Encouragement can only be fruitful if it's faithful. 
if it's going to help, if it's going to truly produce fruit in our life, it needs to do more than just flatter us. It needs to be true. See, the godly encourager speaks the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15. Look, I want you to see this verse is amazing. Because we, we talk about this verse a lot. But look at the, what the effect of speaking the truth in love. Look at the effect that it has. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. See, as we speak the truth to each other in love, it actually produces in us growth and maturity. The truth is such an important aspect of encouragement. There is a world of difference in me saying, you can do this, and me saying, God is with you. See, Philippians 4.13 says it like this. I can do all things, or I can do all this, and usually that's where we end. So we usually encourage people like this. You can do it. You got it inside of you. You can do this. Come on, be the best self. You've got the power within you. But that's not what Paul says. He doesn't say, I can do all things. He goes on. Through him who gives me strength. You see, this is a major difference between flattery and encouragement. Flattery often points to the inner, uh, uh, the inner. Oh, it's it's in you. You've got this. You can do it. You're great. And the truth says, actually, you can't do this on your own. But good news, you don't have to. Jesus is with you. Christ is with you. And through Him strengthening you, you can do anything. Jesus told us this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Now listen, apart from me, you can do nothing. How often do we accentuate what we can do and what we have done rather than taking refuge in this wonderful truth? Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. It is not encouraging for me to tell people that they can fly or that they can do whatever they set out to do because, friends, it's not true. And, and once they start to experience that, they say, well, I thought I could do whatever I wanted. Like, no, nobody ever said anything like that. The truth is, friends, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Anything that God has purposed for your life or dreamed for your life, you will be able to accomplish through obedience to Jesus Christ. That he in you is what makes you strong. So here's how you can test it. Do you want to know if your encouragement is encouragement or if it's flattery? Ask yourself those two questions. Am I telling the truth and am I strengthening their hope in God? Am I telling the truth, and does what I do just strengthen them, uh, scratch their itch, or does it strengthen their hope in God? Another way we encourage each other that I think we really need to be reminded of this morning is we encourage each other, yes, by our words and our words of encouragement, but we also encourage one another by the way that we live our lives, by our faith. One of the best examples of this comes from 1 Thessalonians 3, 7 through 9. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. 
How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you? Paul and his traveling companions were constantly facing really difficult times. If you need to see what kind I'm talking about, read the second half of the book of Acts. Paul experienced such difficulty, such challenge, but Paul was able to say in the midst of persecution and distress that him and his traveling uh, partners were encouraged when they remembered, when they heard about the faith, faith of the Thessalonians. In fact, he describes the report that came to him about the faith of the Thessalonians as being life-giving. It was like wind in their sails. Think about Paul sitting in a prison. It would be easy for him to be fairly discouraged, right? But now word reaches him that the church in Thessalonica is thriving, that they're living for God, that their faith is real, that they're seeing fruit amongst the disciples of the church, and it just reinvigorates Paul. It brings life back into Paul and his traveling partners, and they're able to say, we have joy in God's presence because of you. Friends, never underestimate the impact that your life and faith and faithfulness to God has on other people. One of the most effective ways in the church body that you can be an encourager is by being a disciple and a follower of Jesus and being fruitful. Because your fruitfulness will encourage other people. We need people who are living their lives and healthy and fruitful because here's what I found about fruit. It's really desirable. It's really contagious. Once you've tasted it, you want more. And so we as believers are called to live our lives, to be fruitful and faithful and to have that impact the people around us. Okay, so the first way is we encourage each other. Here's the second thing. This is practical. The second thing is we serve together. We serve together. See, one of the most effective and powerful ways that we can grow and mature and strengthen each other is by serving the Lord together. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is huge. We have to read this again. Verse 12, to equip his people, what? For what? For what? For works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up. Works of service, why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and do what? Become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Friends, this is so critical that you understand this. We grow spiritually when each member of the body does their part of the work of the body, where each system functions together. We say things like this all the time, but it's important that you get it. If we take my physical body, Um, as the analogy, just like Paul does. If I'm doing really well in my circulatory system and my nervous system is thriving, my digestive system is really, really doing well today, right? 
but my pulmonary system is a mess. Am I healthy or unhealthy? Unhealthy. It doesn't take a whole bunch of systems to be out of whack, does it? It's that if our body is not functioning the way that it was designed, we call that disease. And the same thing is true in our spiritual body. We all have to do our part. It's said in the last verse that my job is to train and equip the saints. You all, for the work of the ministry, so that the body can be built up and mature. 1 Peter 4.10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I love this phrase, God's various forms, his grace in various forms. In fact, I really like it from the ESV. 1 Peter 4.10, let's read it out of the ESV too. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God's varied grace. God wants to use you through serving to show off a unique aspect of his grace. Do you want other people to experience to a greater degree the grace of God in their life? Well, how does God show off his grace in this world? His various grace is experienced by others when we use the gifts he's placed in our lives to serve others. As we serve, people experience God's grace in a new way. Because it, my life, my story, my gifts are different than yours. Thank God. Thank God that we're not all cookie-cutter stamps of each other. We need God's varied grace to be put on display. And he does that by each one of us walking in the gifting that God's put in our life. So, here's the questions we have to ask ourselves. How can I serve? How can I help other people get involved in serving? How can I build up and encourage other people in the body of Christ? Because here's why we have to ask those questions. The writer of Hebrews tells us this. Hebrews 10.24 <clears throat> Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us consider. Let's stop and think about this. Let's Think, how can I spur my brothers and sisters in Christ on toward love and good deeds? The Greek word here that's uh, translated spur is the word provoke or stir up. It means to entice or to motivate. That's what we are called to do together. We're called to provoke, to stir up, to entice, to motivate one another into what? Love and good deeds. And it says we're supposed to think about that. Let me ask you, honest question. When was the last time you considered how you could stir up, provoke, entice, or motivate your brothers and sisters in Christ in service? We are called to serve together. Here's the next thing, number three. We are called to pray for each other. We are called to pray for each other's, specifically for each other's growth. I just I found this this week. I, I've seen it before, but in preparation for this, this just jumped off the page for me. In Colossians 4.12, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and this is what he says. 
Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greeting. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all of the will of God, mature and fully assured. This guy is a hero. Did you hear? 2,000 years after his life, we are still talking about his prayer ministry. He loved to pray. In fact, it said he wrestled in prayer. He was a man who was willing to go before the Lord on behalf of his fellow members of the church, and he was willing to wrestle for their maturity. But when we pray, we often just pray about situations and circumstances. Now, does the Bible tell us to pray for situations and circumstances? Yes. But one of the things we very rarely pray for is praying for each other's maturity, each other's growth. When was the last time you prayed for a brother and sister in Christ to become more Christ-like in their thinking, more Christ-like in their actions, more Christ-like in their speech? See, this is what he was praying. He was wrestling, it says, in prayer for his fellow members of the church that they would be strong and mature. Because here's what I believe. Oftentimes we are praying about the symptom instead of the root cause. Oftentimes we are praying about the symptom, but what do we know about symptoms? If you treat a symptom and don't treat the root, then the symptoms are going to keep coming back. And friends, we are called to be a people who are growing. We are called to be a people who are becoming more like Christ. So here's what I want to do with the remainder of our time. I want to pray together this morning. I want to spend some time actually walking you through some verses of the Bible that I believe teach us, instruct us, and train us how to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ to grow spiritually, how to pray for our kids to grow spiritually, how to pray for our neighbors to grow spiritually. Because maybe the problem is, hey, I want to do this. I just don't know how. Well, here today, here's what I want to do. I want to lead you through a few different verses, and I want to, in real time, we are now in a prayer meeting. You understand? In real time, as we walk through these, I want you to begin to pray. I want, as God leads you, as God stirs you, as somebody comes to your mind, that you could begin right now praying, just like we're going to learn as we walk through these. The first one I want to read is Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. It says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Who do you know right now as you begin to pray that needs to experience the love of God? Who do you know that needs to experience to a greater measure the fullness of the love of God, that they would be filled to the measure just right now, you could just go before the Lord and just begin to say, Lord, this person, I pray for them right now that they would know your love. I pray they'd experience your love right now today, that they would know how wide, how big, how vast your love is, God. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, 
who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Parents, verse 21 is one that you should put into your prayer routine for your kids. That you would pray, God, would you equip them with everything good for doing your will. And may they work, may you work in us what is pleasing to you, God. What a wonderful, powerful prayer. God, give them everything they need to do your will. May they be pleasing to you, God. You could pray that right now over your family, over your kids, over your neighbors. Lord, equip them. Help them to have everything good for doing your will. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Who do you know that needs hope right now? Who do you know that's grieving? Who do you know that feels lost? Who do you know that feels like they're stuck in a cycle of desperation? Right now, begin to pray that the God of hope would fill them with his joy, would fill them with his peace, would fill them as they begin to trust in him that they would overflow because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray for them right now. God, bring hope to the hopeless. 2 Thessalonians 3.5 May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Did you hear that one? May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Who do you know that needs a taste of God's love, a greater uh, touch of the love of God, and who needs perseverance, who needs patience? Who do you know that's going through a season where they need a touch of the patience of Jesus Christ? Pray this then over them, that they would learn, that they would trust, that they would experience the love of God and Christ's perseverance. One more, Ephesians 3.16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Who do you know that needs strength today? Who do you know that needs strength right now? Who do you know that you could pray this prayer? That out of the glorious riches of our Father, that he would strengthen them with power through his spirit into their inner being that he had transformed them and changed them band you can come up this week i had a on tuesday night we had an elders meeting and in our meeting one of the things that we gave out to each of the uh, elders was we gave them a prayer tool um, that would just help them know how do you pray for each other? How do we pray for the leaders of Silver Creek Fellowship? How should we pray? And I just wrote down a few things on that note sheet that I gave them each just so that we would have a targeted way to pray for each other. And I realized on uh, Wednesday, the day after, I needed to give that to you as well. That I believe what you are holding in your hand right now, these simple bullet points to remind you of how to pray. That if you would begin praying for 
the brothers and sisters that sit in this room right now, if you would begin praying for your neighbors, if you would begin praying for your kids, these things, that they would be wise, that they wouldn't grow weary in doing good, that they would have unity and love in their families, that they would trust in God, that they would be provided for, that they would be encouraged, that they would have godly relationships and friendships, that they'd live with boldness, that they'd feel uh, the experience of joy in their life, that they would be guided and directed by the Holy Spirit, that they would be growing, that they would be protected from temptation, that they would have spiritual and physical health, that they would be unified and that they would be blessed. Friends, I believe with all my heart that this will be radically transformative in the life of our people and of our community. If my people will pray, will that be us? Will we be a people who pray? Will we be known as a house of prayer for all nations? Will we be a dependent and reliant people? Will the mark of our lives be that we didn't trust ourselves or our own strength, but that we trusted in the Lord? Will we be a people who say, Lord, I need to grow because I want to help my friends grow. I need to encourage because I want to see them built up. I need to pray, Lord, because I want to see people thriving spiritually. Do you believe that's the answer? If we do, what are we willing to do about it? So what we're going to do is we're going to sing a couple of songs. But more importantly, in this case, than just that you sing along, I really, really believe that in this place right now, that there's an atmosphere where if you ask God, God's really willing to hear you and move on your behalf. So I'd encourage you to stay in this posture of prayer. To sing, yes, but to pray. To lift up your family, your friends, other people here in the church. To begin praying prayers through this list for different people in your family. Trusting and believing that prayers offered in faith that we'll see God move. So friends, let's stand together. Let's draw near to God together. Let's pray together. As you pray, maybe you came with some people today that you just want to right now start praying with them. Maybe you together would just take this list and begin praying for your kids. Maybe you begin praying for a neighbor. Maybe uh, the people around you you want to join with in prayer. Whatever you decide over the next 10 minutes as we sing these songs, I just want to make this an environment of worship and prayer. So let's draw near to the Lord now. Let's begin to cry out to the Lord. Let's begin to believe God. God, here we are, your kids, and it is our desire to experience a move of your spirit in our time, in our day, in our church, in our community. And so, Lord, here we are, your people, gathered together in unity to pray. Hear our prayer today, God. 